Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. And if you are taking notes, the title of my message today is Hidden Hurt, Heart Disease, and He-Man Songs. Hidden Hurt, Heart Disease, and He-Man Songs. Um, one of the things that I've noticed about our culture, maybe you noticed this too, is that every once in a while, there will be something that happens uh, that we all become aware of sort of at the same time where somebody who has some notoriety, who's famous, who's a bit of a celebrity, um, they do something that is so out of character and out of the ordinary something that is so like shocking and different and other that we all just become obsessed with it. And it's almost like we're like, are they having a meltdown? Are they having a breakdown? What is happening here? We, we sense that something is going on and we're all being clued into it. And probably most recently would be uh, the thing that happened at the Oscars with Will Smith, right? How many of you, you were just obsessed with that story, right? Like I, I, I'm embarrassed to say like after it happened, I like daily, like when I got bored, I would just Google his name and just see like what else happened? Has Chris Rock spoken out yet? What's going on, right? What's the disciplinary action? What's happening, right? What did Chris Brock's mom's grandma say about the situation, right? Like, what, why do we even care, right? But we do, because we're just like, what is happening? This is so unexpected and coming out of the blue. And we, we get obsessed with all sorts of this stuff. Uh, there was the Britney Spears documentary that dropped a little while ago. How many of you followed the whole uh, Free Britney thing, sir? Um, it, I, I was obsessed. I was just like, I don't know where I stand, but I'm, I'm very interested in finding out the information. And in the documentary that I watched with my wife, um, just so you don't think I'm just watching Britney Spears documentaries by myself in the house, which is fine, okay, but that's not what was happening. Um, and I was like flashing back to all these moments from her life that just seemed so crazy and out of the ordinary. Remember when she shaved her head and then she was like driving and like trying to run paparazzi off the road and just like, just crazy behavior. And we were all just like, that's sad. I need to know everything, right? And we leaned in and we were just obsessed. And you're like, I'm not gonna buy these trashy magazines. You're like, but I will look at them while I'm standing in the aisle waiting to check out. So I need to know everything about Britney, right? And this happens so much. One of the ones that stood out to me was actually something that happened um, several years ago. And the reason why I was dialed into it was because the guy who sort of had this breakdown moment was he was becoming sort of famous in Christian circles and he had started a nonprofit and he was trying to basically free uh, child uh, soldiers who were basically taken from their homes, enslaved and forced to fight a war on behalf of a warlord. And he was trying to create publicity. He made a documentary. It was becoming really famous. His name is Jason Russell. And everything was like, man, this guy is, is living the dream, doing all this stuff. And then this happened, right? And of course, uh, it became, you're, by the way, you're welcome for that blocking block right there that we put up there. Because what happened was, the news story was, one day he just appeared on a street corner and he was pacing. He was completely naked. He was screaming at traffic. He was yelling. He was dancing. And it was just like, and, and everyone was like, sort of like, what is going on? And of course, you know, the really reputable news source TMZ was there to cover it so that we could know what's happening. I'm sure that's where you get your news from. And it was just shocking, right? And we just, we, I, we wanted to lean in. And we, because we're just like, what is happening? And when stuff like this happens, we look at it and we say things like, well, they're acting out 
or this is a cry for help, or they're having a nervous breakdown, or we say something like that. And it's our way of, of sort of trying to describe the, this, this thing that's happening. Because essentially what a breakdown is, is a breakdown is like this sudden, um, obvious external evidence of someone's ongoing internal struggle. It's like this thing that has been brewing inside of them sort of comes out. In this moment, they break the norms, they do something out of the ordinary, and their private battle goes public. And these episodes, when they happen, they fascinate us and they frighten us, right? We're like, oh my gosh, that, that's horrible that that happened to them. And also, what if that happened to me? And it definitely makes us wonder, like, how does this sort of thing happen? Like, how did that person get there where that was what was unfolding in their life? And we wonder the same thing with people who are close to us who have like a meltdown or a breakdown on maybe a smaller scale, right? Maybe they're not naked on a street corner, but there's other things that happen, right? And, and we're up close to it. Like we have a friend who is normally kind of calm, but they suddenly one night get uncharacteristically violent at a bar. And we're like, what is going on? Right? Or we have someone who we thought had just sort of like a great life, a great marriage, whatever. And then we find out one day that they just sort of went out and cheated on their husband and are just sort of abandoning the life that they'd built. And we're like, what is going on? Or maybe you get called to go visit someone in the hospital that was like a coworker or somebody that you knew because they were committed due to liver failure for a drinking problem that they'd managed to hide from everyone. And you're like, I didn't even know this was an issue, let alone an issue to this level. And we were shocked. And I bring up those three specific examples because those are all things that I've spent time talking through with people in my life. That I've been there for them in the midst of these moments. And I'll tell you that when it happens, whether on a large or small scale in the aftermath, they end up saying things like, man, I have not been doing good for a while. It's been really hard. But I didn't know who to talk to or what to say or you know, I didn't know how to slow down or, or, or shrug off all these unrealistic expectations that I've been striving for. And I didn't want to be a burden. And I was kind of embarrassed about it. And I, I was afraid that people were going to judge me. And I just, I hoped that it would just sort of go away, that I could navigate it by myself, that I could tackle it alone. And sometimes we don't realize how depressed someone really is until they have a breakdown. In fact, I'm taking it a step further. Sometimes we don't realize how depressed we are until we have a breakdown, until everything comes to the surface, until we reach this place of, I cannot keep doing what I'm doing the way I'm doing it anymore. I can't keep the facade in place. I can't keep pretending everything's all right because something's been going on in here that has to come out. I once read that, that the onset of depression is a lot like the onset of heart disease. And in other words, like, you know, it, it's not the result of one thing, but it's sort of like all of these things together, right? You have someone's genetic predisposition. You have the level of stress in their life. You have how they are dealing with or coping or treating that stress. You also have a handful of habits in their life, like how they eat, how much they exercise, what they do with their time, uh, the sort of the mental energy that they exercise and how they do that. All these things together. In other words, like you don't, you don't catch heart disease, right? It, like you, it's not a virus, right? Like wearing a mask is not going to protect you from it, right? You develop it gradually 
over time as plaque builds up in your arteries and makes you sick. And then one day, one more thing happens, right? It's like the straw that breaks the camel's back. That thing sort of pushes you over the edge and you cross this invisible threshold that's often measured like medically by, you know, spiked levels of blood pressure and cholesterol uh, for a long period of time. And now today you have heart disease. Like you were primed for it yesterday, but you didn't have it, but now today you do. Now today, you have this thing that you'll struggle with for the rest of your life. And unfortunately, for, for a lot of people, a heart attack is the mode of discovery. Like they figure out they've got heart disease because they had a heart attack. Not the best way to discover something. But what is a heart attack, right? It's a physical breakdown. It's a moment in which your body seizes your attention to force you to focus on something that you don't want to have to admit is a real issue. Now, like we all know, like it's not wise to, you know, wait till someone has a heart attack to maybe like, you know, help them. We, we, we'd be smarter to treat the root cause, right? To figure out like, what are the underlying issues? We wanna prevent heart attacks from happening if at all possible when we can, but we don't always do that. And I think a lot of times we treat depression in a similar way that we treat heart attacks. Right? We, we, we often wait till somebody has a breakdown to get them help. And that's not often the, the most helpful thing. Like instead of looking for and trying to identify and dealing with the things that cause depression, we, we wait. And if you wait till someone has a heart attack in order to get them help for heart disease, sometimes it's too little too late. Because not everybody comes home from the hospital when they have a heart attack. And the same is true of depression. Like if you wait till somebody has some sort of a breakdown to get them help, sometimes it's too late because not everybody bounces back from breakdowns. In fact, roughly 15% of people who struggle with clinical depression die by suicide. So what is it that we are looking for? We're trying to identify depression before a breakdown. What is it that we are hunting for? And that's a great question, but it's really hard to answer because depression manifests itself in different ways in different types of people. Like no two people have the exact same depression. Like some people, when they're depressed, they overeat. They eat all of the things. Other people feel like they can't eat. They have no desire to eat and they begin to starve themselves and waste away. Some people sleep constantly. Other people suffer from insomnia. They can't sleep at all. Some people can't muster the strength to even get out of bed. Other people sort of avoid their mounting anxiety through consistent activity, right? By pursuing all of these sort of hollow goals. And so if it's so difficult to, to sort of pin down and figure out what you're looking for, what exactly is depression? I want to give you a working definition that we're going to build from during this series. Depression is the experience of long-term joylessness, hopelessness, misery, and inadequacy. It's a paralyzing inability to imagine yourself, your life, or your situation getting any better. Now, maybe you're looking at this and you're like, okay, oh, what does that mean? Because sometimes I feel joyless. Sometimes I feel hopeless. I've been miserable. 
I feel inadequate from time to time. And that's because these are just normal human emotions, right? Everybody feels all of these feelings occasionally. It's part of being human and, and they're not bad or wrong. In fact, emotions are natural, neutral responses to experiences, right? And so you're going to experience both the light and dark of these things. Stepping into the dark isn't the issue. Getting stuck there is. And that's when you cross over from a moment of sadness to a season of depression. It's this moment where crushing sadness becomes constant. When it's hard to remember the last time that you felt excited about anything. When you wake up sad. When, when, when in the pit of your stomach, it just feels heavy and knotted. Your mouth is dry. Food tastes like cardboard. You're tired all the time, regardless of how much you sleep. It's never enough to energize you. You don't feel motivation to do anything. Even like just trying to, like thinking about taking a shower, it feels like an insurmountable task. You might as well just climb Mount Everest while you're at it. No matter how hard you try, you cannot in your own strength pull yourself out of the bad mood that you find yourself in. It's when everyone feels distant, even if they're sitting right next to you. It's when you can't imagine what anyone would ever like about you or why anyone would ever want to spend time with you. It's when you can't track the conversation in front of you. It's when you don't enjoy any of the things that you used to. It's when almost everything agitates to you. It's when you find yourself laying in bed wishing you were dead. And it's when all of these things sort of compound and they just drag on and on and on. It feels like it is never going to end day to day, week to week, month to month, and sometimes year to year. That's depression. It's dark. Now, depression exists on a spectrum, right? So it's not always all of these things on that level, but sometimes it is. And in fact, a lot of times we think like, well, what I'm going through, I guess it's not as bad as maybe what some people are experiencing. So I'll just continue to push it down. Statistically, many people with depression suffer years, sometimes even decades before admitting it to anyone. Because they think like, what would I even say? And if I said something, would, would the people I told care? And would they even believe me? I mean, like, what's wrong with me is invisible. It's not, it's not the flu. It's not a broken arm. It's not going to show up on, on some sort of like a blood panel or an x-ray. I feel like they're, they're not even going to believe what I'm saying when I say it. And so I'm just going to hold it in. But the longer you hold it in, the worse it gets. Because the more we suppress certain feelings, studies show that the stronger they become. Because there's nowhere for them to go. Imagine this in a different light. Like, imagine that your kidneys were failing. Imagine that you had some sort of an injury or a disease, and because of your failing kidneys, you weren't really able to function. And imagine that in that scenario, the people around you kept saying things like, it's all in your head. You're not really sick. There's nothing wrong with you. In fact, what you're experiencing is a choice. And so you should just stop being that way. What would you do with that? Because 
what you know is true about what you're going through is that this internal sickness is slowly destroying you and no one believes you. So you just sit alone in the dark, hoping that it will evaporate, which seldom happens. And part of the problem is, you know, we live in a culture that doesn't make a lot of space for dark emotional experiences. But I got to tell you, like, just because we don't want to acknowledge certain emotions doesn't mean we still don't experience them. We just don't acknowledge them. And they're part of life. Listen to this description of just like the scope of, of human existence. This is found in Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse one. It says this, for everything, there's a season. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to cry and a time to laugh. A time to grieve and a time to dance. A time to embrace and a time to turn away. A time to search and a time to quit searching. A time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be quiet and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate. And essentially what this author is saying is that, you know, there is a time for all of these things. In other words, like these things are going to happen in life, in your life over the course of time. But this author is also saying you would be wise to make time for each of these things because they're going to happen whether you acknowledge them or not. And when we hear that, some of us are just like, do we have to do all of them? I mean, some of them are not great. Like the one circled in red, no thank you. Okay, I don't, I don't wanna do that. Like, can't we just do all the positive ones and stay away from the negative ones? That's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in a time to die or kill or tear down or cry or grieve or walk away or give up or throw away or tear or be silent or feel hatred. I don't want to do that. And so this is the, the strategy that a lot of us use. If I don't like the season I'm in, I'll just pretend I'm not in it. Anybody do that one? I don't really want to feel these feelings, so I'll just pretend they don't exist. Right? I don't want to actually be in this situation, so I'll just pretend that I'm not. And typically, it doesn't work great. Why do we do this? A lot of us grew up with certain experiences that taught us that certain feelings aren't okay, productive, tolerated, or even safe. And I don't know what those things might have been for you. Like maybe growing up, you learned that like when boys cry, they're seen as weak and they get made fun of. Or when a girl clearly voices an opinion or a boundary, she's seen as controlling, bitchy, or needy. Or maybe you learned that like worth comes from winning, achieving, and being successful. And so if you can't do one of those things, get out of the way. Or maybe you learned that like telling someone that they hurt your feelings is a great way to get ridiculed and yelled at and slapped and passive aggressively ignored for days on end until you feel like you are completely invisible. I could go on and on and on. As kids, you know, we all learned certain unwritten rules to survive. And it wasn't like these were formally taught or like passed, like, welcome to our family. Here are the rules, right? 
we just sort of learn these things instinctively. Like this is how it, 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 this is what it means to function with these people. And some of those things involved us suppressing certain feelings. And, you know, some of that is just a part of being socialized, which is fine. Like not everything you want to express is appropriate for you to express however and whenever you feel like expressing it, right? To function like in society, uh, in a family, in a community alongside other people, we sort of have to figure out how, how to interact with one another. But for a lot of us, instead of learning how to healthily navigate our dark feelings, we learn to demonize them to deem parts of our inner world off limits, to forbid ourselves to actually feel what we're feeling, which is technically impossible, but some of us have gotten real good at it. You see, depression isn't sadness as much as numbness. And its opposite isn't being happy as much as experiencing vitality. Vitality, of course, is like the ability to feel a full range of human emotion from joy and excitement to grief and sorrow. And yet some of us have decided that certain ones of these are worth muting. And the difficult thing is it's difficult to turn down the volume on one set of emotions without fading the feeling of all of them. This is what I love about our scriptures like they seem way less afraid of acknowledging and expressing all of the feels, right? The light and the dark, what we would classify maybe as good and bad in our culture. And, you know, our culture struggles with this, but the the ancient cultures didn't seem to have as big a problem with this. And uh, there are examples of this all over scripture. I'll read you just a couple. Um, Listen to this super depressing passage in the Old Testament. This is found in Psalm 88. I would wager this is the most depressive passage in all of Scripture. You're welcome. I'm not going to read it all because it's a lot, but uh, I'll just give you some highlights. Oh, Lord God. That's how you got to start it, right? Listen to my cry. My life is full of troubles and death draws near. I'm as good as dead, like a strong man with no strength left. I lie like a corpse in a grave. I'm forgotten, cut off from your care. You have thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you engulf me. Interlude. Some of you are like, thank God there's an interlude, right? Which literally means like, take a breath. It's gonna get darker, right? So you're like, oh my God, that's so much already, right? Break over. Here we go. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive to them. I'm in a trap with no way to escape. My eyes are blinded by my own tears. Each day I beg for your help. I lift my hands for mercy. Why do you reject me? Why do you turn from me? I've been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before you. I'm overwhelmed. I'm paralyzed. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. And that's how it ends. What a great closing line. Darkness is my closest friend. Wow. You know, a lot of the Psalms when you read through, they're these emotional explorations. And so there's a lot of up and down. This one's just down and then more down, and then an interlude, and then just like nosedive, you know? And then there's nothing after that. 
There's no like, but God, you're awesome and everything's probably gonna be okay. It's just like darkness is my closest friend and seen. That's it. That's all you're gonna get. And the best part about this to me is the information that we find out inside of like our Bibles about like the context of this thing. Like normally there's a, uh, it's not a footnote because it's the top of a head note. I don't know what you would call it, but the top where they're like, oh, this is a Psalm of David, you know, when he was running from Saul or whatever. And I want to read you, this is just, this is just a screenshot from a Bible app. This is exactly what it says, Psalm 88. Here's the background information. This is for the choir director, a Psalm of the descendants of Korah, a song to be sung to the tune, the suffering of affliction, a psalm of He-Man, the Ezraite. Now, there are some amazing factoids in here that I think we need to just acknowledge. First of all, the author's name is He-Man. Did you catch that? How amazing is that? Did you see that coming? Because for me, when I think of He-Man, I think of He-Man, the master of the universe, right? Like this muscular, you know, he's got a sword. And I was, I was going to wear the outfit today. My wife was like, no one wants to see that, babe. Don't. I'm like, it'll be an illustration. No one will forget it. And she's like, yeah, they won't forget it. It will burn onto their brain and they'll never come back. They'll never come back to this church. They'll be like, I wasn't depressed. I saw that. I'm depressed. That's sad. It's so weird because we see this and we're like, man, this is just the epitome of masculinity. And this guy who's like conquered everything and he's strong enough to overcome everything. But in reality, like, you know, at least from this verse, according to the original He-Man, you can be the master of the universe and not be a master of your own emotions, okay? That's real. And here's what I love about this. I love that like, you know, the original He-Man was sort of like, you wanna know what masculinity looks like? Not feeling the need to hide or stuff or push away certain emotions, but to where you can step into them, experience them, and learn how to deal with them in healthy ways. The thing I think is fascinating about this, if you go back to the thing, it says that this is a song, right? It's for the choir director. And it's not just any song. This is a worship song. In other words, people got together in a church setting and sang this alongside each other. And FYI, these sparkling lyrics were set to the tune of the uplifting positive praise classic, The Suffering of Affliction. Like, think about this for a minute. There was already a song called The Suffering of Affliction, and He-Man was like, I don't think those lyrics are dark enough. I'll do you one better. Psalm 88. And people get together and just like sing these things and participate in this all together. That's crazy to me because growing up, that's not what church was. Church was where you put on a smile and you hid your hurt and your hopelessness and your dark thoughts. But in these ancient temples and tabernacles, like it was where you went to express and explore these things in a safe space with other believers. Why do these people think so differently about spirituality than we do? And part of it, I would argue, is, is, is cultural, which we'll get into weeks to come. But I think it's because they thought about God and they thought about darkness, and they thought about sadness in a different way than we do. I'm gonna read you just a couple examples of, of how they thought about things. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. I grew up thinking, like, if you were sad, 
If you were depressed, if you're experiencing dark feelings or thoughts, God had abandoned you. He's mad at you. You've screwed up. You've done something wrong. He's definitely not near. Maybe when this funk lifts, Jesus will come back and love you again. But the way these people see God is that when you are brokenhearted, when you are dragging bottom in life, when your spirit is crushed, this may be the moment in which God is closest to you, not the farthest away. God is in the moment with you. Jesus goes on to say in the New Testament, one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, he rattles off these things called the Beatitudes of like sort of definitions of the way God made the world to work. And he says this, God, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. And, and that's what these ancient people gathering to sing Psalm 88 were doing. They're allowing themselves to individually and collectively mourn. To sit in their sadness, to face their dark feelings together. And, and, and it wasn't just God who comforted them, it was each other. And I gotta tell you, of all the stuff that we're gonna talk about we're going to get into a lot of practical things in the weeks to come, but I, I, we have to start here. This is the first step. Like when you're emotionally bottoming out in life, don't stuff it, surface it around safe people who will hear you out, help you process and make a plan. People that will hear you out, help you process and make a plan. And some of you are like, okay, I get the thing that I need to like come clean. I need to, I need to voice what's going on. I need to be real and transparent with some safe people. What's the, the third, make a plan, what's that? What's that part? Um, and we're gonna talk a lot about that in weeks to come because in order to be different, you're gonna have to probably do some things different than you're doing them now because depression is diverse. And what I mean by that is it's physical Mental, emotional, relational, situational, environmental, habitual, and spiritual. Like all these things added together equal your disposition, which means improving involves addressing them all. And a lot of times we have this misnomer about depression of just like, it's just a decision. And it's just like, it's just like a thought or it's just a feeling. And so like, that's where it, it camps out. And if maybe you could just like, maybe just try and think a little different, then maybe everything will just, will just fix itself. But this really underscores how humans work. Humans are whole beings and depression is a whole person illness and requires a whole person plan for healing. Like depression is physical, right? There's a biological component. There is a hereditary component. There's also a component in terms of like things you put in your body and how you take care of your body. There's a mental component. There's thought patterns and the way that you think about things and the running loops inside of your mind. There's an emotional component of the feelings that not you just let pass through you or experience, but the feelings you grab hold of and you hold hostage and you sit with for long periods of time. It's relational because it has to do with the types of people that you put around you and how you interact with them and your dynamic with them and the sort of things they pull you to do and be. It's situational. Sometimes horrible things happen. Sometimes people are like, I wonder why I'm so depressed. And I'm like, what's going on in your life? And they tell me, and I'm like, that's depressing. Well, I just, my mom died yesterday and I just don't feel normal. You're not going to. If you do, that's weird. 
It's environmental. It's shaped by the places that we go and the things that we do and the air that we breathe. It's habitual. It has to do with the, the things that we eat and, and how we exercise and the places we go and the things that we watch and listen to and experience. And it's spiritual. Sometimes we're depressed because we've chosen to do certain things or orient our life in a certain way that actually doesn't lead to human flourishing. And we can feel that there's a discrepancy and that feeling feels like depression. And if we want to improve, we, we've got to address all of these things, which brings us to Jesus. Jesus famously said that he came to show humans how to live life to the full. Like that was his mission, which is interesting, right? Because the opposite of depression is vitality. Life to the full. A fully integrated life where it is safe to be your whole self. And this is what Jesus ultimately came to show us. And it is not just a single prayer. It is a process. Whatever that shapes up to be for you, I can tell you that it always begins with you coming out of isolation and starting an honest conversation about where you're really at and what's going on with you and what is boiling up within you, being honest about the hurt and the pain and the sadness and the disappointment and the numbness and the nothingness. Because the reality of it is, no matter how much he wants to, God won't help you heal what you continue to hide. Because God doesn't force any good thing on anyone. He gives you the freedom to choose, to receive his help or reject it. One proverb talks about it this way. This idea of coming out of hiding and getting in touch with what's happening inside of you. Proverbs chapter 14, verse eight, it says, people are wise and understanding when they think about the way they live, but people are foolish when their foolish ways trick them. You ever trick yourself? You're like, I did not see that coming, self when you find yourself being like, why am I doing that? Why do I feel this way? Why am I sick to my stomach right now? Why do I feel uncomfortable around this person? How come every time I'm in this situation, I get this sensation? Like, what is going, why do I always do this thing that I don't want to do? Like, what is happening with me? And we're just like, man, I don't know. Just ignore it and hope it goes away. It says, wise people People who are wise and understanding, they think about how they live. But foolish people are just like, man, I don't want to look into it. I don't want to uncover it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to face it. I don't want to go there. And I wonder, like, do you think about the way you live? Do you look at the ways that you're acting out big and small and wonder what's underneath that? Like, if you've not done this, I want to just give you some, I'm going to give you this every week, some journal prompts to just, like, maybe take a picture of these and just journal out the answers to these sometime this week. Think about them. Talk about them with people in your life. Like, what am I avoiding? Like, what am I trying to avoid feeling or facing in life? Like, what emotions have I decided are unsafe, unacceptable, or inappropriate? Like, and, and, and the reason I decided that because somebody else decided before me 
And I just was, I operated in their orbit. And so now I have grafted that onto the way that I operate. And so, man, I can't get close to that. I can't admit to that. I can't feel that. I can't experience that. That's bad, wrong, sinful. And what do I do to keep myself from having to fully feel those things? Like, what do I do to distract myself? What, what places do I go? What substances do I use? What people do I put around me to try and yank me out of having to actually feel and face the things that are dragging me down? I was given this paper during my research by a, a child psychologist and it is, it's used for kids when they, when they feel like, you know, acting out or hiding out or numbing out. They have this overwhelming sensation and they give them this worksheet essentially to help them process and express the, what feelings are going on beneath it all. And I recreated it. I'm just going to share this with you. This is like a, a, a worksheet that I was given. It says this, I feel feelings when reasons because I need boundaries. Some of you are like, what a coincidence, me too. I feel feelings when reasons because I need boundaries. But like, obviously what makes us powerful are your specifics. I think a lot of times we are forging ahead in life and we are not in touch with what we're actually feeling. We don't know how to connect that feeling with where it's coming from and we don't know what need it's pointing to. And that disconnection from ourselves drops us into depression. I wonder what would happen if you began to do this. You know what I thought when, when the guy gave this to me? I was like, this is for kids? Most adults I know don't know how to do this. And he's like, I know, I know. I wonder if you actually, when you felt something bubbling up within you, if you, when you felt sick to your stomach, when you felt anxious, when you felt frustrated, when you felt like whatever is coming up in you. A lot of us are so disconnected, especially us guys. We're like, I don't know what feelings I'm feeling. I, I only know about two feelings, anger and lust. I'm good at those. I know those real well. What else is there? What if you ever actually step back and be like, I feel embarrassed. I feel embarrassed. When this happens, when this situation unfolds, when I'm put in this environment, when that person addresses this, when this thing gets pushed on inside of me. And the reason is because I have a need that is going unmet. I need to put up some boundaries. I need a boundary off some of my desires, some of my cravings, some of the things that have gotten away from me. And I need to place some boundaries to maybe not go certain places, not be around certain people not give in to certain temptations. I feel feelings when reasons because I need boundaries. And I, I wonder what doing this, if doing this would, would help you get in touch with the parts of you that you've lost along the way. Like what if you started to believe that all of your feelings, even the dark ones, that all of your feelings were actually not off limits? What if you actually began to believe that the Lord was closest to us in the midst of our brokenness, that he doesn't abandon us when we're in the darkness? What if you, what if you actually began to allow yourself to mourn in the presence of healthy people because you believed that that, that would actually open you up to being comforted by them and by God? I wonder if you believed those things, how it might transform 
your life. It might set you on a path to begin moving in the direction you need to go. Two years ago, one of my great uncles died suddenly of a massive heart attack. And in the same year, a few weeks later, my friend Kyle died by suicide. Both of them have been suffering for a really long time. And hardly any of us who knew them knew the depth of what they were going through. And both of them, a breakdown was brewing. And once we found out, it was too late. And that breaks my heart. And not just because I love them and they're gone, but because they, they lived so much of their life in hidden hopelessness for such a long period of time when comfort was both available and accessible, but they never accessed it. And I just, in my mind, like, is there anything worse? Is there anything worse to be suffering and to actually have help and healing just an arm's length away and not be able to access it? I tell you that because I think as we begin this series today, I want to impart to you, don't let this be you. Don't let this be you. But in order to access hope and healing, you gotta start by asking for help. I gotta tell you like, there's nothing wrong with experiencing these things, with stepping into them. But if it's been going on for a while now, the truth of the matter is the valley of the shadow of death is something that's meant to be walked through, not camped out in forever. And if that has begun to feel normal for you, God has something better. And he will not approach you with shame and condemnation. He will surround you with love and comfort and a way forward. It begins with you getting honest with yourself and with him and with your spiritual community that will grab you by the hand, walk you forward. That's what I wanna pray into your life today. That as we begin our journey through what it means to defeat depression, that you would finally be honest see what happens. Would you bow your heads across this space this morning? God, I am uh, grateful for you and for your word, for the way that you hold a mirror up to us and you show us who we are, who we're made to be. You normalize all of the things that we experience, that we feel, that we walk through, that we're tempted by. God, you made us whole beings. You created moments and seasons to ebb and flow in our lives. Some of us are stuck in a season, a pretty dark season, and we don't know how to get out. We thought we were passing through, but now like this has begun to feel like maybe this is just my personality. Maybe I'm just stuck here. Maybe this is just where I'm gonna live my whole life. Maybe this is just who I'm gonna be. And yet Jesus comes to give us life to the full, to pull us out of numbness and isolation 
and reintroduce us to connection and community and vitality. And God, I pray that today, today would be the first step in the right direction to open our hearts up to you, to willingly show you what you can already see, to admit to ourselves, to you and to the people around us that we need help. And God, that as we do so, you would begin instilling hope hope for the future that we've started to give up on. God, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves when we get honest with you about where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.